Our gospel lesson continues in John chapter 20, starting in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Friends, this is the story of our faith. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. And so now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place and in all places be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One day, the absolute best person that the world had ever seen or encountered lay dead in a tomb. Throughout his life, he loved people, all people in ways that no one else could ever fully understand. He healed people who thought there was no cure for their disease. He saw people whom others usually ignored or mistreated, and he welcomed them in. With him, there was always more than enough food to eat, always another seat at the table, always an outstretched hand, always an abundance. He met anxiety with peace, fear with great courage, sin and shame with forgiveness and despair with unimaginable hope. And his radical way of living completely turned the world upside down. It threatened the powers that be, it shook the establishment, and it ultimately got him killed on a cross a criminal's death. For those who had journeyed with him, his death was the end of their world. They loved him. Even when they didn't understand him, even when they couldn't grasp what he was trying so hard to teach them, and even when the life he called them toward felt so out of reach, they were still drawn to him. 
I mean, they would drop their nets, leave their homes, and do anything just to follow him. And they would do it all over again in a heartbeat because they now knew that God had been made flesh in him in a way that had never happened before. And now it would never happen again. Their beloved teacher, friend, mentor, and Lord was dead, and all of their hope was buried in the grave right along with him. But just before sunrise, on the third day after he had been killed, a woman named Mary Magdalene went to visit the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled away. And so she immediately ran to the other disciples to tell them the only conclusion that she could imagine, that his body had been stolen. Well, at once, Peter and another disciple whom Jesus loved ran as fast as they could to get to the tomb. They looked in to see linen cloths lying on the ground, and this kerchief that had been used to cover his head was somehow folded neatly all by itself. Peter wasn't so sure what to think of it all. But this disciple whom Jesus loved took one look at the tomb, and scripture says he believed. Now, meanwhile, Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping until this man she believed to be the gardener said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And she said to him, Sir, if you have taken away his body, please just tell me where it is and I will go get it. But then this gardener man said her name. And just the sound of his voice resurrected her heartbroken soul. She looked up and cried out, Teacher! And in an instant, her world was changed forever. Our world was changed forever. And Mary went to share this good news with everyone else that Jesus was alive. Friends, this is the reason we celebrate Easter today. This is the story of our faith that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Peter Gomes, who was a theology professor at Harvard and a minister at Harvard's Memorial Church, says that preachers all over the world are bending over backwards today just to try to make sense of a story that transcends sense. And so what I want to do today is the exact opposite and to claim to you that I can't even begin to make sense of the resurrection. And did you notice that neither can this unnamed disciple in the story? Verse 9 tells us that he does not yet understand what happened or how it possibly could have happened. And yet after stepping into the empty tomb, somehow he believes. Because this is exactly what Easter invites us to do. Isn't it? Easter beckons us to believe the impossible. Even though we didn't see it happen, no one else did either for that matter, even though we don't understand it at all. But more than that, I believe Easter invites us to live as if we believe that God is still in the business of doing impossible things. 
You see, I believe the biggest question Easter asks of us isn't what you and I think about exactly what happened or how it happened over 2,000 years ago. The biggest question that Easter asks of us is how you and I are going to respond over 2,000 years later. Because Easter invites us to live out this good news. To be people who dare to hope beyond hope, whose lives proclaim that grace bats last and love always wins. People who practice resurrection, as Wendell Berry once wrote. This week, Holy Week, in fact, Gallup released a poll that for the majority of Americans, they no longer belong to a place of worship, be it a church, a mosque, or a synagogue. This is actually the first time in Gallup's eight-decade history that the majority of people in the U.S. no longer identify with a community of faith. Church membership was actually 73% when Gallup first measured it back in 1937. And this trend remained steady for about six decades. Even in 1999, it was still at 70%. Today it is at 47%, which shows more than a 20-point decline from the turn of the century. Our own Guthrie Graves Fitzsimmons was asked to write a response to this poll for the Easter weekend, and it was published by CNN. You may see it in the comments or on social media today. Guthrie writes, Church decline is not a rejection of our message of love. It's a rejection of our movement's failure to model that message for the world. But I'm hopeful, he says, for a resurrection. A resurrection of Christianity in America that lives up to the teachings of Jesus. This Easter, I hope my fellow Christians who care deeply about the future of our movement to spread the gospel of love will recommit ourselves to build a movement that more people actually want to join. And friends, I believe that that crucial work begins here and now. And it begins with how you and I choose to respond to this Easter story. Although when you look at how the disciples first respond, it honestly seems pretty anticlimactic. After Peter and this unnamed disciple have seen the empty tomb, and even after scripture tells us that the unnamed disciple believes, what they do next is they go home. Why in the world would they just go home? I mean, can you imagine any Easter book or play or sermon where at the very end, after discovering the empty tomb and realizing this good news, the last line of the story were, and then they went home. The end. But my friend and pastor Alan Shirouse has a different take on what is happening here. He says it's fitting that the gospel says simply that when that impossible day was over, Peter and the other disciple left the tomb and returned to their homes. 
Because home is where Easter is known. And he's right, isn't he? I mean, home is where we are our truest selves. It's where we make decisions about how we will live and love and spend our time, what our lives are really going to be about. And so maybe it's perfectly fitting that Peter and the other disciple go home to where Easter can be lived out. Even Mary can't stay with Jesus for long, as desperately as she wants to. Instead, he says to her, don't hold on to me. Perhaps because he knows that she needs to go on home too. And especially on a year like this one. I mean, imagine how many hours we have spent in our homes this year. When we are watching and participating in Easter Sunday worship from home. Perhaps there is actually no truer place for us to experience Easter than the very space where Easter can be made known. And not only on this beautiful, sunny Easter Sunday morning, but on Monday and on Tuesday and the day after that and the day after that. And so the question is, what will the good news of Easter look like within you and within me. You know, one thing I've always been curious about in the Easter story, we were actually just talking about it in the office this morning, is that here in one of the most significant stories in all of Scripture, this very first person to believe isn't given a name. Now, sure, there are lots of theories about who the beloved disciple was, but their name is never listed. And that just seems so strange that we wouldn't have the name of this witness to the resurrection. But as I was thinking about it, maybe we do know the name of this disciple. This brave one who dares to believe something that seems so impossible. And then runs home to live the good news of Easter. It's Reese Little. It's Max Baker. It's Jean and Grundy James. It's Wanda Nockdemon. It's Emily Moriers. It's Bill Ackerman. It's Kim Clark Endicott. It's Gator Blanchard and Dominique James. It's Karen Graves and Terry Hill. It's Tracy Holiday. It's Lillian Glover. It's Tyler, Renee, and Eliza Pertlebaugh. It's Walter McCorder. It's so many more people than I could possibly name today. Because the truth is that at one point or another, this disciple is you, and it's me, and it's any and all of us who are brave enough and bold enough to live the good news of Easter in our everyday lives. Because Easter invites us to dare to be people who hope beyond hope. Whose lives proclaim that grace bats last and love always wins. People who practice resurrection with every breath that we live. You know, it's true that we do not understand exactly what happened at the tomb that day. 
And to the rest of the world and even to ourselves, it may seem completely crazy for us to believe something that just doesn't make any sense. But what I do understand is this. I can testify over and over and over again to the resurrection that has happened in my life and has happened in your lives. And as I have started getting to know you, Highland, and as you have begun to entrust to me your stories, even in this short amount of time, I can proclaim that Christ is risen from the dead because of the resurrection I have seen and experienced in you. Clarence Jordan the founder of Koinonia Farm, who helped to start Habitat for Humanity, writes this. He says, The proof that God raised Jesus from the dead is not an empty tomb, but the full hearts of transformed disciples. The crowning evidence that he lives is not a vacant grave, but a spirit-filled fellowship. Not a rolled-away stone, but a carried-away church. And so may we get carried away, Highland. May we get carried away in our love for all people with no exceptions. May we get carried away in our extravagant welcome and radical hospitality. May we get carried away in our pursuit of justice as we seek equity and inclusion for all people in the kingdom of God. And may we get carried away in the work of love as we practice resurrection in the worship that is our very lives. Because friends, Christ is risen indeed within you and within me and within us. And that is the good news of Easter. Thanks be to God. Amen.